The pre-med path can be super confusing. If you'd love some help on your path or on your applications, use the promo code PMY for pre-med years, PMY over at medicalschoolhq.net and get some help from some of our experts, former directors of admissions, admissions officers, other experts. We have a small team ready to help you today. Again, that's promo code PMY to get a discount on our services at medicalschoolhq.net. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Pre-Med Years, session number 460. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for taking some time out of your day. Today, I have a great episode with Alex from Blueprint MCAT. This episode is actually going to go live on the MCAT podcast next week, but I wanted to put it out here on the pre-med years because this is a conversation that all of you are having and one that Alex and I had fun talking about what is medical school admissions going to look like in 2022? Is this Fauci effect a real thing or is it not? Uh, What will the MCAT look like? Will the AAMC finally pull their head out of uh, you know where and decide to make the MCAT a test that you can do at home online like every other major test out there? That is what we are going to be talking about today here on The Pre-Med Years. Andrew, back for some more MCAT podcasts. This time, I get you not just for uh, going over full-length exams, but actually just having a fun conversation this week about kind of what's going to happen in 2022. I can't believe as we're recording this, it's already September 2021. Time flies with this application cycle and every year. So I'm excited to chat with you about kind of what's to come next year. What do you think? You, I know. Oh my goodness! I, I always feel like I, I feel like in my head it's still like early 2020, and it's like wait, like where, like where does the time go? It's it time, disappeared time froze. into a time warp. Time froze when the <laughs> pandemic started. We we all are pretending it's still March of 2020, uh, but unfortunately, it is not. We are getting older, and uh, the application cycles to medical school continue on. And you know, right, you're in the middle of an application cycle right now. Uh, Previously, we're in another application cycle uh, previously. From your just process, as as you went through Mm -hmm. this, right, you're in the the 2021-2022 application cycle, hoping to start medical school in 2022. We'll Mm -hmm. start with your personal experience. Were there any big changes that you noticed occurred from an application cycle standpoint, whether it's kind of the process of registering for AMCAS or questions they may ask or or different parts of a secondary that, that maybe are new post-pandemic. What was it for you personally before we jump into this kind of big picture stuff? 
Yeah, absolutely. Because of course, you know, I, I took my MCAT just before the pandemic. So I guess I was fortunate and fortunate enough that kind of that wasn't that part itself wasn't affected. But yeah, so I think the changes to MCATs and to the application cycle are really interesting because, of course, you know, me, I think, like so many other people have had, you know, COVID related disruptions. I mean, perhaps at its most straightforward, like, how are you supposed to you know, get shadowing experience when hospitals don't allow shadowing because, of course, you know, it's a risk to public health or they don't want you to contract COVID, especially <laughs> before the vaccines were rolled out. And so, uh, yeah, so kind of I think initially the first thing I noticed is um, in secondaries, all of these prompts that ask you, how was your experience affected by COVID? Yeah. And what I think is super interesting is that every medical school approaches this prompt slightly differently. You know, there are some medical schools which I, I think effectively are asking you, what experience did you experiences did you have planned that were cancelled? You know, other medical schools would say, you know, Lel, how did COVID affect you personally, right? You know, maybe asking, you know, instead of just saying like, oh, you know, I was supposed to shadow for this many hours and it didn't happen. Instead asking perhaps, what degree of personal disruption did it cause you and how will that better allow us to contextualize your application? Yeah. And then kind yeah. of the third type of prompt, which I thought was uh, super interesting, which was, I think of it as like, you know, COVID from 10,000 feet up, which is not necessarily how did COVID impact you personally, but how did COVID impact your conception of the healthcare system or society yeah. as a whole? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think those are three great buckets to throw it in. And it's very interesting to me what it says about the medical schools based on the question that they are actually answering. To me, I want to go to the schools that are asking how to just affect you and your life right? Allow me to go, well, my uncle died or my aunt died or my grandfather died, which which is true, right? My grandfather died of COVID in April of 2020. And, and oh so does that affect uh, of, did that affect your MCAT? Like, can, can I line up what you're telling me about personal struggles of, of family member illnesses or what have you, or, or even COVID affected my parents' ability to work, Right. And, and maybe I'm, I'm an immigrant uh, and the field that my parents worked in got shut down because they, they weren't essential workers and whatever. And so now we were more worried about putting food on the table and paying rent than studying for the MCAT. And it, it as you mentioned, right, it just really helps contextualize the whole application. And I think schools that ask that question in that specific way really care, or at least they're they're trying to show that they care even if they really don't right versus they're like you know they're asking for the information you know in a sense if you don't ask for the story it can't be considered yeah, right yeah you can't versus the schools that are like we really just care about how many shadowing hours you have and how much clinical experience you have and if you don't have enough tell us if if that was affected so that we can really just make sure that the numbers line up Right. It's just like, okay. Um, and, and then I don't really know how to take the, the, the 10,000, 30,000 foot view ones of like, how did it change your perception of the healthcare field or, or whatever? Um, I'm really trying to understand what the, the schools are getting out of that because 
I, I think we, we've seen very early on, there's this huge shift in the perception of healthcare providers during this pandemic. The start of it, right? There, there are people lining up outside the hospitals and you're our hero and thank, thank you and you're saving us. And now it's like, why are you trying to save us? Like, I don't want your medicines. I want to go. I want to go take this other thing that that Joe Rogan talks about. And and uh, and now, like, healthcare providers are villainized for trying to to save people. And it's just the weird shift of public perception among a certain subset of people. Um, and I can't. I guess I understand why schools will want to see that, but. My my guess is that if you're still applying to medical school, you still want to be a physician, right? This too shall pass. This kind of craziness that we're in, uh, hopefully this anti-science craziness that we're in uh, will pass and, and medicine will be medicine and you, you'll work as a physician. So I don't really understand kind of big picture what they're looking for there. Do, do you have any thoughts on what do you think they're trying to get out of that question? Yeah, I've been. I think I've kind of mentally tied it into, you know. I, in fact, you, know, you you've said on you said on you know on this very podcast, which is, you know, you need to be prepared. For example, for you know, in an interview setting for medic from for a medical school to ask you, you know, what do you think is the most pressing issue that affects U.S. healthcare, you know, delivery today? Or you know, if you could snap your fingers overnight and change one aspect of the U.S. health system, what would it be? Yeah. And I always feel like the the quality that they're by proxy looking for there is. Are you someone who has broadly considered the structure of healthcare delivery as it is in this country, and are you someone who's able to kind of uh, make a reasoned, considered, and sympathetic analysis and argument for why yeah. you know for why what you think is you know is the right course of action is the right course of action? If I if I had to guess, that kind of view on this COVID prompt is the same thing, which is you know. This is a generation-defining crisis that intimately involves the U.S. healthcare system. You know, we want medical students who can think thoughtfully and caringly and sympathetically about what that means in the bigger picture, and possibly, you know, prescribe directions or you know identify areas of future change. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, thank, thanks for uh, that personal kind of take there. Let's talk about the application cycle from 2020 to 2021, right? 2020 was um, the the pandemic hit March of 2020, right? Mostly mm -hmm. is when it affected the US uh, where things kind of shut down. May and June of 2020 is the application cycle that opened up during the pandemic. And we saw all of this news and, and media hype around the Fauci effect. Do you remember hearing all about the Fauci effect? I do, I do. <laughs> I feel like for, I, it came in these interesting waves. I feel like the first, the first wave, if you, uh, which we don't, which we don't recommend, is if you perhaps poked around in the, you know, pre-med forums of the internet, was, <laughs> oh, this is such a great cycle to apply because people will have been, you know, people's journeys would have been disrupted and they wouldn't have applied to medical school. Which, I mean, personally, as a take, I think is perhaps a little bit immoral. Like, you know, oh, like, oh yeah, it's good for me because all these people won't be able to become doctors. But I mean, you know, putting that firmly to one side for the moment. Um, and then I feel like we saw, you know, of course, last cycle saw record applicants, although I would perhaps argue that, you know, 
we've we've been seeing record applicants kind of cycle on cycle for a number of years now anyway mm. uh and you know people saying yeah it's the Fauci effect you know we've pushed epidemiology and healthcare delivery to the forefronts of everyone's mind so they're going to be applying to medical school yeah. and um i think that's a very powerful idea which once you put it into somebody's mind it becomes very easy to spread and it almost i think almost became perhaps like almost like a meme within certain pre-med circles <laughs> I, I don't i don't know about you ryan i i didn't find this concept very compelling right i mean i'm sure everyone that's listening today knows the kind of very deliberate very long-term very yeah. goal-directed actions that applying to medical school requires yeah. <laughs> It's not, it's not something that, you know, come March, you, I, it's I suddenly, rolled out of bed one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I should do this medicine thing. I, I guess I'll just, I guess I'll just apply next month. Yeah, the, the fast food worker was like, you know what, since this pandemic, I, I just, I think I want to go to medical school. So I'm going to apply this cycle and see what happens. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. that's, that's what all of the media made it out to be is like all this random people just all of a sudden was like, I'm going to apply to medical school. And it's because of Dr. Fauci. And we all know that that doesn't happen, right? And so I, I think one of the questions that comes from everything that has happened uh, around the application cycle uh, from 2020 to 2021 and now 2021, 2022, the one that you're currently in, is uh, especially students applying in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, is is the application cycle going to be harder? Is it going to be more competitive? Are there going to be more people that are applying? And so to, to really look forward to next cycle, which is where I want to go, we have to look back a little bit and really talk about this Fauci effect and go, was there anything to it? Now, my assumption is, and, and I was just pulling up uh, an NPR article about it, that the AAMC, of course, they make all of the money when more people apply to medical school. So, of course, they're really excited about trying to promote more people want to go to medical school because they get more money, right? It, it is super, super jaded uh, on, their, uh, on their front. And so I, I think the number is 18% um, more applicants, Right, more applicants, not applications, because each applicant can obviously increase the number of applications they are submitting. Mm -hmm. But they're saying 18% more applicants. And so again, wh who are these people? And they don't really tell us, right? They don't say these applicants were grocery store workers and didn't want to be frontline grocery store workers. They wanted to be frontline doctors now. And and they were English majors yesterday. And now all of a sudden they're applying to medical school with no prereqs, right? And no MCAT score to, to tie it into the MCAT podcast. Where I personally think all, most, if not all of these applicants came from were students who are planning on applying in 2021, but heard that, oh, there are some schools thinking about dropping the MCAT requirement. I'm going to put in my application now because I basically have everything else. I was just waiting on taking the MCAT, but I'm just gonna try because, hey, I'm a bad test taker and I have test anxiety and I know I'm not gonna do great on the MCAT. So I'm gonna be able to get into Stanford because Stanford has said that the MCAT is is optional this year. Yeah, abs absolutely. And, and or, you know, or the one that the one that stood out to me was perhaps people who perhaps would have applied two years from now that have pulled it forward 
because they happen to have a lot of time sitting at home. And, you know, ultimately applying to medical school does take a lot of time. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. Stanford, their their data, according to this NPR article, is they saw a 50% jump in the number of applications. I'm like, yeah, because you said the MCAT was optional, right? Stanford was one of the the first big names out there that said, we're, we're going to make the MCAT optional. And I think they're doing it this year as well, 2021 to 2022. Yeah. Um, and so, of course, they're going to see more applications, more applicants because they made it optional. And I think that's where all of these people came from. The, these weren't people that just woke up one day and go, I want to go to medical school, right? We know, we've seen when when we have uh, recessions and depressions and uh, traumatic stuff like 9-11, people always go back to education. They, they, fall back, they fall back on education to help propel them forward in life through tough times. And so I think in a couple of years, we will very likely see a more natural increase in applications and applicants who were doing something else and then decided to go back to undergrad or go get their prereqs or whatever that looks like. And then they're going to apply to medical school. Yes, so. absolutely. I, and I, I think, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see the return of the Fauci effect <laughs> article, you know, three years from now, yeah. when perhaps all the people who are inspired, you know, have now, you know, have now kind of brought themselves to the position where they are able to apply. Yeah. So from an MCAT perspective, right, we're the MCAT podcast, mm -hmm. from an MCAT perspective, for those applying in 2022, or out into the future, and there's still a random Stanford or a random school out there that's like, oh yeah, the MCAT's optional. What is what is the word on the street in terms of should I take the MCAT or should I just apply to these one or two or three schools that the MCAT is optional? Yeah, so this is this is a, a really interesting and a really nuanced question that of course entirely depends on your particular background. Um, in general, uh, you should take the MCAT to apply to medical school. You know, while there are some schools which have gone MCAT optional, or indeed, uh, you know, I believe the UC system have mostly, if not entirely, gone MCAT blind, which is, of course, a step beyond MCAT optional. Uh, and kind of the interesting thing about that is that, yes, you know, now for the first time in a long time, you know, you can go to medical school without having taken the MCAT, without being in, for example, a special, um, say, combined bachelor's MD program that doesn't require it. This said, for the vast majority of applicants, taking the MCAT is the right decision. And, you know, I know that's I know that's really easy for me to say, like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. person who works at an MCAT prep company <laughs> says you should take yeah. the MCAT. But, you know, allow allow me to make the case, you know, the average, you know, you know, like Brian, like when a student comes up, comes up to you and says, how many medical schools should I apply to this cycle? What number do you normally give them? I don't give them a number. I'm like, uh, it's the average is 17, right? The AMC yeah. says the average is 17 uh, for MD schools. The average for DO schools is nine, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. And so th the answer is <laughs> how, how big is your wallet? <laughs> uh, yeah. And how much time oh. do you have to write secondaries? Because that's a, a, a big factor as well. And with that in mind, like 
for most people, you should be casting your MD, you know, and DO net fairly wide, right? Yep. Because medical school admissions is hard. Yep. It's really hard to go to medical school. And ultimately, you want to maximize your chances of becoming a physician. Yep. To do that, you know, there are, you know, there are not, for example, 20 MCAT optional schools in the country. Yeah. You know, to put yourself on the kind of statistical level that you really want to be so that you don't have to reapply, so that you don't have to go back and study for the M, you know, and study and, you know, take out time to study for the MCAT, you should be taking the MCAT. And there are, you know, and ultimately, you know, for the vast majority of people, if you approach the MCAT in a structured way, in a, in a, you know, in a, uh, in a careful way and take all of the steps that you need to do, you know, the kind of score that you need to become a physician is not out of reach. Yeah. Fact, factor in for the people out there who are like, well, I have a 4.0 GPA and, mm -hmm. and so there may be the Stanford out there or whatever school they're going to look at my 4.0 GPA and they're going to really love that. I'm really scared about the MCAT. And so I would much rather apply without the MCAT with my 4.0 GPA and, and just see what happens. Yeah. I think particularly for schools like Stanford, you know, Stanford's average mat matriculant MCAT score is, you know, is very high. It's, you know, north of the 98th percentile. It's, yeah. it's, it's very high. And you know, with that in mind, I, I think there's an interesting point to Stanford, you know, going MCAT optional, because in the sense that basically all of the, you know, all of the students that they accept that don't submit an MCAT are probably the types of students who, you know, weren't able to take the MCAT for, you know, really serious personal mitigating circumstance reasons. And, but, you know, who probably, if they had taken it, would have done very well. I think it's really easy to often perhaps read in more to these kinds of decisions than perhaps they actually signal. Mm. And that ultimately, you know, getting into Stanford is really, really hard. And, you know, you, can, you can't pin all of your hopes on Stanford, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, so we saw the, the AAMC... I'm sorry. Go ahead. Like one, one, one more point on that yeah. as well, which is that um, the MCAT is really hard. The MCAT is really <laughs> is really scary. You know, no, it's everyone important. listening. <laughs> I, you know, I promise both Ryan and I understand that. Yeah. But you know, like Ryan, you're a doctor. Medical school also has a lot of high stakes standardized examinations. Yeah. Yeah. It it does it does. Um, so when the pandemic started and. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there were lots of lockdowns and stay-at-home orders and all of this stuff. The AAMC very much drew a line in the sand and said, we will not create a virtual test. Um, yeah. Obviously, the test is virtual. You just have to go to a testing center. But they wouldn't allow students to take it on their own computers, log into a website, have a virtual proctor, et cetera. The AAMC, for some reason, counter to every other major, as far as I know, every other major test creator out there uh, has said that the MCAT can't do that. <laughs> and do do you see that changing at all in the future as we continue through uh, Delta and Lambda and Mu and all of the new variants that are going to come in the next couple of years? 
I, you know, <laughs> it's, it's of course, in, you know, the AMC very often is a black box in terms of the actions that they take in the sense that, you know, it's very, it can be very difficult to gain any kind of insight of, as to what's happening on the inside. I mean, barring truly exceptional circumstances, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, you know, they've made when, it, they've made it known. <laughs> yeah. And they, you know, like, and if, if there was ever a time where it was going to happen, it would have been last year. Yeah. You know, if there's the spread of a variant, which, you know, and, you know, let's, let's all hope collectively that this doesn't happen. You know, if there, if there, if, a, you know, if a variant spreads, which is, you know, an order of magnitude more of a public health crisis than the ones we're dealing with now, then, you know, perhaps they would revisit this issue. I think it is, the probability yeah. is vanishingly small. Yeah. Yeah. This came up very early on when, when I was first looking at this and why the double agency hasn't done it. There was a big call for them to do this in 2017. I believe the year was, there was a, a major hurricane that hit um, Puerto Rico and, mm. and the Island was devastated and the testing centers were closed. And so you, you had a whole Island that's like, we want to take the MCAT, right? Puerto Rico has, has medical schools, U.S. medical schools on the island, yeah. and and they take a lot of their students from from their island, and they have students who couldn't take the MCAT. They had to fly to the mainland if they could get out to to take the MCAT, and and people are like double AMC, like let them take it online at home if they have power and internet. Uh, and, and there was a huge push back then, and then obviously twenty twenty rolls around, and and there's still <laughs> crickets from the double AMC, unfortunately. So. The, the MCAT also changed in length from this seven and a half hour test to a five hour test or whatever it changed to, um, to fit more people in, in the testing centers and have three tests a day instead of the one test a day it was previously and now two tests a day uh, that it is now. Do you, do you see the WMC changing the format of the test again to accommodate anything? The AAMC their entire job is to provide a standardized testing experience. I think last year was a, you know, unprecedented anomaly. Um, they now that they've, you know, returned to the standard testing length, I don't, I don't think would, I don't think would see them shorten it again. You know, they've, yeah. I think in their minds, they've appropriately addressed those kinds of concerns by, shifting the test timing so of course now you can take it at two times you can take it at 7 30 in the morning or you can take it at 3 p.m um which i which i which i often say to my students they're kind of ah oh, they both involve trade-offs just in different ways <laughs> yeah yeah and, and I've, uh, I've talked to a lot of students who who really want that morning spot and other students who really want that afternoon spot just based on their own kind of circadian rhythm and, and sleep patterns Oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'd be in. I, if you know, if I were booking my test, I'd be like, give me the three p.m. I am perfectly fine with finishing at ten thirty at night. Like, yeah, yeah, that works. But, um, <sighs> so I, I think, I think, I think to the AMC, they that they feel like they have adequately addressed criticism regarding test provisioning, and I think, yeah. although you know, to many people that may be disappointing, but. That's that's where we yeah. are, especially the people who are n needing to travel five, six hours or flying somewhere to 
to be able to take the exam because their local testing center is is closed or uh, is full or what what have you and and I just I, I'm in the middle of reading a book called Why We Sleep and and reading that book I'm like oh, one thing I want to talk about from now on is if you can prevent at all costs needing to travel for the MCAT do mm-hmm. it the the book talks about research about sleeping in hotel rooms. And our body, right, our, our bodies is built to protect us. Um, and it knows that you're in a new sleeping environment and it will not let you get into as deep of a sleep as you normally would at home if you're mm-hmm. sleeping in a hotel room. Because it's like, uh-oh, this is a new cave I'm sleeping in. <laughs> I don't know if bears or hyenas or, or saber-toothed tigers come around this way. Um, and, and you don't sleep as well. On top of the normal test anxiety that you would have p- potentially preventing you from sleeping well, you have your own body's kind of built-in protection mechanisms not letting you sleep as well. And so uh, I, I'm now kind of screaming from the rooftops, like, don't travel to take the MCAT because it's just not good. I, I will I will send, and we can trim this out of the podcast if it doesn't fit, but I will send you an article. That book has actually come under quite a lot of scientific criticism really? oh, cool. for, for being... For be, for being um, overzealous with its representation of the data nice like it, it's interesting it, it's come up the the author is an is an english guy actually based at mm-hmm. berkeley i believe and is that book has been subject to some quite heavy criticism nice. <laughs> i like it i like it uh, we'll we'll leave that in because that's that's some uh, good stuff right that that's that's called science right you read something Absolutely. and uh something gets put out and then other people are like ah wait a minute um so good glad glad to know that's out there um, all right. So one of the other big changes, you mentioned it already a little bit in terms of shadowing and clinical experience and, and that being affected. What are your thoughts from what you've seen, uh, again, through your own application cycle? How do you think admissions committees are going to be dealing with students coming in with less clinical experience, less shadowing, less whatever, because of all of the shutdowns and, and everything? Yeah, in fact, this I think this ties into one of the things I love so much about this very podcast is that kind of you have stressed repeatedly over many, many years and, you know, have had, you know, and have, you know, you have interviewed admissions committee members or, you know, deans of admissions at medical schools. And I think it's always worth emphasizing, right, that this is not an algorithm which decides the med school class, right? Everyone who makes these admissions calls and decisions, they are real people. They are real people who want to build like the best possible medical school, like a matriculated class that they possibly can. And they do that explicitly by considering students, not numbers. And, you know, I think it's really easy to kind of lose sight of that when you're applying, because I think at points it can feel quite impersonal. But ultimately, you know, this is a situation that absolutely everyone applying has gone through. I promise, you know, every single admissions committee member in every single medical school in the country will be aware of this because it affects everyone, you know, including them personally. Yeah. 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 It's it's a very frustrating question that I get that completely in my mind lacks 
self-awareness and understanding that there are other people out in the world besides you when students are like, well, because of the pandemic, I didn't get a lot of shadowing. I'm like, do you think you're the only student out there (laughs) that this affected? Like, if you are, we have some major problems. Um, And and so if you want to ask that question, ask, right? Obviously, because of the pandemic, shadowing was really affected for for every student. Like, how do you think it's going to to be looked at? But so many students are like, well, this just affected me and I don't know what to do now. Uh, And it's just super frustrating. So uh, another resource I just want to plug for a second is Inside Med Admissions. Um, If you go to our Mapped YouTube channel, mapped.tv, we have... Uh, the first episode of Inside Med Admissions is Dr. Scott Wright, former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, interviewing three other directors of admissions about COVID and its impact. Mm-hmm. And we were talking specifically about the 2020 to 2021 application cycle, but it, I think it was that that application cycle. It might be the 2021, 2022. Oh, it is 2022. 2021, 2022. So many numbers. Um, application cycle. And... and and, and as you said, right, they are aware <laughs> because the medical schools themselves had to deal with this problem at, at the beginning, too, of of are our medical students going to be able to get the rotations that they need or are they going to be blocked from going into the hospital because it's only going to be the essential people need to, needed to take care of patients and, and medical students potentially aren't on that list. So medical schools had to deal with it. And obviously the directors of admissions are aware of the problem and are adjusting. Yeah. Don't worry, medical schools did have to deal with the most pressing public health crisis in a century. <laughs> yeah, they they uh, understand. So if to, you're- if to, you're... Plug, to, plug an, to plug an earlier episode, I would highly yeah. recommend that everyone listening here uh, go back and listen to your interview with uh, Dean Rivera, the um, mm. admit, uh, the head of admissions at NYU. Yeah. I don't know if it's the MCAT podcast or if it was the it's pre-med, the pre-med years. Yeah, mm. uh, and I I think that was you know that was relatively that was that was like kind of that was a bit very early on. Yeah, and I think he you know he did a really great of course, and I had the pleasure to kind of end up to speak with him personally uh, a bit after that. Yeah, and I mean you know. Of, of course they're aware. How could they not be? Yeah. Yeah. Raphael, he's a good, good friend. I, I love having him on the podcast and uh, get getting to pick his brain. So, so really when it, what it comes down to is, is as students are really worried about the, the changes that are coming um, in terms of, uh, are there going to be more students applying? Are, is it going to be more competitive? How are medical schools going to view this? Do they know that things are are difficult for us? The answer is applying to medical school has always been hard. It will always be hard. I think we both kind of agree that the 2020 bump, this quote unquote Fauci effect, were mostly very rushed applications of people trying to take advantage of a lack of MCAT that ultimately didn't pan out, I think, as as many people hoped it would. And so that was just a lot of extra revenue for the AAMC and and maybe secondary essay revenue for medical schools. And, and most of those students didn't get into medical school and are just going to need to reapply to medical school. And so it's it's not going to be more competitive. It's just going to be it, it's going to be the way it is, right? People still need to do well in their classes and still need to do well in their MCAT and uh, and everything else. I, I think um, 
the, the potential silver lining is for those students who have always had a hard time finding shadowing, finding clinical experience, those coming from minority or disadvantaged backgrounds who don't have mommy or daddy as doctors or don't have all of their neighbors as doctors because they live in, in nicer neighborhoods, is, is the fact that medical schools may lower a lot of what they've been looking for and, and may look holistically, I hate that buzzword, um, may look more holistically at, at everything and, and really question, do we really need to have a filter of, you have to have 40 hours of shadowing experience in three different uh, specialties. So I think there's a silver lining for some people out there. And by the way, I often think the biggest silver lining, at least in terms of financial savings, is remote interviews. Oh, huge, huge. Like, you know, to the, tu- you know, to the tune of sometimes for people, you know, if you're a... You know, if you're a low income but very strong applicant, you know, if you're the ki- if you're the kind of applicant who, you know, and some people do, it's not enormously common, but you know, some people, you know, go into a cycle and get ten interviews, yeah. right? And that's a you know that is a crushing financial burden, yeah. but at the same time, it's really difficult to look at an interview invite when they're saying like you know, when you don't have an offer of admission yet and to say, no, sorry, I can't come. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the biggest silver linings. And I think that's something that's here to stay. I've talked to a lot of people and they really like virtual interviews um, because it allows them more flexibility from an interviewer standpoint, uh, more flexibility with their own schedule. They don't have to be somewhere specific. Uh, and so they can fit interviews into their maybe clinic schedule or operating schedule easier. Um, and the, the financial benefits for students not needing to, to fly, uh, have hotel accommodations, as well as the uh, opportunity cost of missing work. Obviously, you still need to miss work to, on your interview day, but maybe the day before and day after, you you won't have to miss because you, you're home doing the interview. So that's a huge change that I think I think a lot of schools will keep some option for virtual interviews. And then the question will come from students is, if they give me the option of in-person and virtual, will they think I'm less committed if I do virtual? And and that's just a question, unfortunately, that we'll, we'll have to see how that plays out. I know. I, I, I really hope that for the students, for the schools that, uh, that retain a virtual interview, that it's either, you know, like we'll randomly assign it or yeah. it's done in, or it's done in some way that like is carefully constructed to minimize biases. Right. Because I think it's, possibly really easy even if you don't explicitly consider it as part of your admissions criteria right i think it's really easy for example for even on an implicit bias level right that like i saw this person in person and therefore there's just a part of my brain that likes them more and thinks they would be a better fit in our class yeah I, I had more oxytocin release and dopamine release uh when they were in my presence therefore i have a stronger attachment to them you know, it all this, comes down to this, science. This applicant was taller than I expected, and this one was just on Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So many things to think about. So ultimately for the student, and we'll wrap up here, ultimately for the student, I, I think there are a lot of questions that are unanswered. There's a lot of what-ifs out there that you have no control over. And so in my mind, 
it's just useless to even worry about it, right? Yeah, understand that there's there's a lot of this and that and and what ifs and and whatever, right? Focus on what you can do, what will help you stand out from an application standpoint, grades, MCAT score, clinical experience, shadowing, all that normal stuff and then telling your story and your your personal statement and interviews and stuff like that. And then and then just keep pushing forward and and don't don't stress the small things and and worry about how each individual medical school is going to handle lack of shadowing and lack of clinical experience, et cetera. So I like to, I like yeah. to frame it as a, I think, which I, really helped me when I was approaching this was I liked to frame this as, I think it's really easy to think of this process adversarially. You know, I'm trying to fashion my body into a triangle shaped projectile to fit through the triangle shaped hole that medical school, school X has fashioned for me that I need to, you know, they'll let me in resentfully, yeah. you know, and I think it's really, I think when you reverse the perspective, when you think about like being on an admissions committee, you know, medical schools ultimately really want you to apply there, yeah. you know, and of course, you know, not just for secondary revenue, they really want, you know, more than anything, it is their whole, it's their job. They want to fill their medical school class with kind of engaged and interesting and passionate people, mm. you know, they want to fill their classes with kind of the best, you know, with the best possible people that they can find. You know, you are making yourself available for them to choose, right? You know, they are, you know, ultimately, I think when mentally reframed, you can see it can, you, it's, it's easier to see it perhaps as like a win-win, yeah. you know, and then in that case to see a rejection as a, you know, like it's not that I'm a, you know, a bad or a terrible person. It's just that, you know, maybe I wasn't the perfect fit with this school. Yeah. So for students, what can they be doing today to start preparing for their 2022 application? Uh, the first the first point I always, rec I always suggest is uh, if you haven't taken your MCAT yet and you're planning to take it in January, there is a very valuable link that I give to all of my students who are in this situation, which is if you go onto the AMC website, there is an email mailing list alert mm. uh, that they will that will email you as soon as booking is booking dates are like the day that you can book your test yeah. is announced, and then the day that it opens. In that this is, you know, meaningful post-COVID in the sense that, of course, booking MCAT dates, depending on where you live, has always been difficult. You know, I got burned by that personally when I was first studying. I like, you know, went to go book my test six weeks in advance and was like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, they're all booked out. Oh, within 600 miles. Oh, guess I'm not taking it this summer. Um, and get on that mailing list. Fill out the link put in your email address, be notified. For January test dates, they open, they're going to release the, they will clarify details by mid-September, so hopefully in the next couple of weeks at time of recording, uh, and that they will open bookings in approximately mid-October. Yeah. Follow the AMC MCAT account on Twitter. If you don't have Twitter, download it, make an account just for this purpose, and set up like basically notifications on your phone so that, you know, coming up to the day, whenever that Twitter account tweets, it like sends you the equivalent of a text message. Yeah. 
That that was actually something that I I think I liked them doing last year, or not last year, but the last time registration opened for the MCAT is they changed because historically the WMC is just horrendous at their IT infrastructure and their websites are constantly crashing and they get over overwhelmed very easily. Um, and, and they know, they know, they know lots of students are trying to register for the MCAT at one time, right? And so this past year, they have done MCAT registration across two days to ba- to basically say, and, and, and I, I don't know if this is the exact line, but anything east of the Mississippi River is on, you're registering on test day one uh, or on, on day one and anything west of the Mississippi, you're registering on the second day so that they're splitting their their volume of people coming to the website in half, which I think is is a great idea and, and something I applaud the AMC for actually doing and trying something different for once. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, all of this isn't, and they also implemented a waitlist system, I believe, for the first time. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, all of this is in service, right, of like, you know, ultimately, they have a lot of demand for people taking their tests, right, and they have to allocate it somehow. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of like, what best to do for this cycle, what I think is really interesting about about this cycle in particular is in a lot of ways, on the specifics of what you should be doing, how little it actually varies from a typical cycle, right? Mm-hmm. Remember, you know, COVID is a huge bump. Of, co- of course it is. But ultimately, the qualities that medical schools are looking for in, med- in prospective medical students are the same as ever. They want people who are committed. They want people who are compassionate. They want people who you know, have the fire within them to pursue a career, which is very difficult, but that ultimately can, that, that, it, that ultimately is very meaningful. You know, all of the qualities that they are kind of trying to select by remain the same, which means actually a lot of the conventional advice applies. You know, get get experience in healthcare if if you possibly can and you know Ryan I know you've done a lot of work with you know helping people secure remote shadowing yep eshadowing.com um, yeah um you know do well, you know study for your mcat and do as you know and do as well on it as you can because that's an, that's a valuable point of data for medical schools keep focusing on your grades. Many schools have started to go back to in-person classes, but either way, you know, don't, you know, keep your, you know, keep your GPA at your level of, you know, at your level of potential. Yeah. You know, these are all the same, you know, selection criteria that have been true for years and years and years. And ultimately this cycle, you know, for all of its quirks is mostly no different. Yeah. It will work out. Do all the things that will help you as an applicant. Uh, don't don't try to stand out. Just tell your story, get the experiences, and uh, ultimately you'll be successful. As you will be, Alex. Fingers crossed that uh, everything works yeah. well for you this cycle. Yeah, try not to stand out. I think I kind of fell on that hurdle, but oh well. <laughs> that's that's okay. Um, Alex, if people want to get some of your brilliant MCAT advice, you are a live online instructor with Blueprint MCAT. How can how can students find out more about that? 
Yeah, absolutely. So if you uh, go to Blueprint MCAT, we you can sign up. You can sign up for the live online course. It's uh, a sixteen lesson series of two and a half hours each, where we kind of really dive into, you know, not just the MCAT itself, but your approach to it. Right? You know, I think the interesting thing, and you know, and the the live course at Blueprint is actually relatively new. But I, I, what I really like about it is that. I think it's really easy to approach the MCAT thinking that it's just a test of content, right? And of, of course, that's something that you've, you know, that's a conception, right? That you've, that we've, you know, you've kind of debunked, you know, ad nauseum on this very podcast. But ultimately, I think it's really, you know, it's really difficult, right, as someone studying for the MCAT to say, well, how do I improve on strategy? You know, I can read about the electron transport chain, but you know, how do I how do I approach questions strategically? That's a yeah. that's a very difficult skill to learn. I think sitting by yourself looking at a biochemistry textbook, which is why the live course really is. You know, it's it's uh, it's two instructors who just you know go through MCAT content, you know, like we would and like we did on test day, which is you know, here is, here's the content that you need to answer this question. But ultimately, this is also, you know, your opportunity to get 30 plus hours of listening to, you know, two instructors say, well, you know, as someone who did well on this test, here's how I would approach this question. You know, here's how I would deduce that A was the correct answer, even if I didn't remember any of the underlying content and you know there are even a few questions from the course which i think take that to the extreme which i think is just you know and and certainly for someone like me when i was studying for the mcat i think you know this experience would have just been like gold dust like oh my goodness i didn't even realize that was logically possible <laughs> yeah blueprintmcat.com go go check it out and uh, check out that live online course Alex, thanks for coming and uh, sharing your thoughts on COVID and the the application cycle and and what's to come, hopefully or or not, hopefully maybe in twenty twenty two. We can we can we can hope it'll all it'll all it'll all work out in the end. All right, so there you have it. Again, hopefully that was helpful. Give you some understanding of what is to come as we're recording this in mid September. Be on the lookout for new MCAT dates and registration opening. If you're planning on taking a January 2022 MCAT, be on the lookout for those dates coming soon. That's the MCAT Minutes brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.